unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. All right, back at it after a week of load management. We are in the saddle again and ready and raring to go. Coming up on this episode, my colleague from A7BN Sports and the Captain and Company Morning Show on OldSchool101.com, Slick Vic Victor Anderson will be in the house. He is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. So, COVID outbreak is really wreaking havoc on the NFL. The Browns have many players out, including Baker Mayfield, uh, Kevin Stefanski, their coach. The Washington football team's been hit hard as well. Seven uh, players, I believe, today went on the list. And the NFL does not want to cancel games or postpone and reschedule and all that stuff. So what will happen? Will they revise the protocols? You know, they made the Denver Broncos play with a wide receiver at quarterback last year after they went through several cancellations. But right now, they got to come up with something because it's an issue of player safety if you have, you know, tiny rosters because there are so many players that can't play. So it is a very fluid situation. So I'll have to keep an eye on that and see what's going on there. So are there any clear-cut favorites in the National Football League for the Super Bowl? You know, you look at New England has reclaimed their throne at the top of the AFC East with a 9-4 record, and they beat the number two team in the division, Buffalo, by throwing only three passes in a Monday night game recently. Oh, man, I tell you, I had a big-time, big-time Love for that because I love the old school running game and New England brought that back and that was just absolutely wonderful in today's day and age just to grind it out on the ground. Baltimore eight and five, they're hanging on tough, but uh, you know Lamar Jackson's got injury problems, so that makes them compromise. Tennessee in the South are they really a great team? They're Managed nine wins, and but without Derrick Henry. But it's Kansas City. After a slow start, they won six in a row, and look at them. They could be reasserting themselves as the best team in the AFC. Green Bay's 10-3. Tampa Bay's 10-3. Arizona 10-3. The Rams are 9-4. The Cowboys 9-4. Those definitely the best five teams with a whole lot of mediocre in the last few playoff spots. Who would you say the favorite in the NFC is? You know, Tampa's defending champions maybe get the nod. Arizona's had a great season. I kind of like them from that aspect. I mean, you know I love the Cowboys. and But, you know, they're struggling on offense. Their defense looks like it's rounding into form with uh, potential defensive MVP candidate Micah Parsons. But, uh... Dak has not been the same since his calf injury, and he is struggling. As And if he struggles, the whole offense struggles. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But uh, lo and behold, with the extra game, the seventh playoff spot, uh, lots of things to happen between now and the end of the regular season. All right, 
Happy to welcome back to the program my colleague from A7BN Sports and the Captain and Company Morning Show on OldSchool101.com. Notice Slick Vic, Victor Anderson, is in the house. Vic, it's great to have you back on the show once again. Good to be back on the show, Jeff. Pleasure to uh, be back on the airways, and uh, got plenty to talk about today. So uh, let's cut the chit chat and get going, man. <laughs> Absolutely. But first thing I got to know: Are you keeping our good friend, the captain, in line? Uh, he has a hard enough trouble keeping everyone else in line. So uh, whatever I can to try and reel him back in uh, is appreciated. It's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it, right? Facts. <laughs> <laughs> He's <laughs> producer ain't doing it, so <laughs> that's right. Oh man, good stuff. So uh first off, let's uh talk some NFL. Anybody you see as a clear cut uh you know Super Bowl champion at this time of year? I was kind of going through it uh, before you came on the show, and I'm I'm kind of like a little stumped. What do it you think? Feels, it, it feels so weird, Jeff, to have it be this late in the season, and there are at least for me, at least 10 teams that I can legitimately make a case for hoarding up the Lombardi Trophy in Los Angeles in February. If I had to make a pick right now, I would say my Super Bowl would be Tampa Bay in the NFC and Kansas City in the AFC a rematch. Uh The reason I say Kansas City is because they're winning because of their defense. We have never said that about a Kansas City Chief team since Patrick Mahomes became the starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Their defense has been stout. The addition to with Melvin Ingram prior to the de- trade deadline has been a huge asset for that front four. Has allowed their secondary to play a lot looser. And with the defense playing as well as they have, it doesn't put all the pressure on the offense. So as a result, they can find their way through the slump that they were in in the middle of the season because we know how prolific that offense can be once Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and that running game can get going. But I think with Kansas City, it's been because of the defense that they've been able to get back to the point. And with the NFC, I'm I'm a wrestling fan, and Ric Flair always says – to be the man, you got to beat the man. <laughs> right now, the man is Tom Brady. And until somebody can prove to me that they can beat Tom Brady in the postseason, that I'm going to stick with Tampa Bay. They did it. They don't need the number one seed because they didn't need the top seed last year. And I have no faith in Arizona. I have no faith in the Rams. Don't talk to me about the Cowboys. And I don't know any wild card team that's not the Cardinals or the Rams can make a strong push to Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay is finding, kind of like Kansas City, they're finding ways to win, but it's more so because of the offensive firepower as opposed to Kansas City winning it with defense. Yeah, and of course, uh, you just said Tom Brady's the man. That's, Tom Brady's the man. Woo! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, and what about Green Bay? I kind of think of them as like a, a paper lion. Here's the thing with Green Bay. They've been to the final, they've been to the NFC Championship game two years in a row, but they can't finish. They went to they went to San Francisco two years ago. They got bludgeoned by that 49er running game. Last year, they got home field advantage, which a lot of people said, oh, if Green Bay was at home, they would have been to the Super Bowl. 
they got home field. And then for whatever reason, Matt LaFleur decided we're going to kick the field goal and let Tom Brady run out the clock. I don't have faith that if Green Bay got there a third time, that they could finish the job. And that's regardless if they get the one seed and regardless of if they play. They, they've been there twice, and they can't finish. So until Matt LaFleur can prove to us that he and Aaron Rodgers can make those winning plays late in the NFC Championship game to get them to the Super Bowl, then I'm going to stick with Tampa Bay until I'm proven wrong otherwise. Yeah, and what, what is your take on all this uh the Aaron Rodgers drama throughout the throughout the season, you know, and before the season, you know, wanting to go somewhere else. Then he reluctantly comes back. He's uh, he's got his little immunization situation, and of course now you know the Pat McAfee show is his mouthpiece. Uh, yes. Yeah. So what what is your take on on, on Mr. Rogers? Well, I think Mr. Rogers' neighborhood will be uh, having a new residence next season. I, he's done in Green Bay. He could win an MVP. He could win the Super Bowl. He could win Super Bowl MVP, but he's done in Green Bay. He's he's done this situation in such a way where he essentially is telling Green Bay, either you trade me at the end of the season or I'm going to retire. Green Bay has done everything Aaron Rodgers has asked him to do since he reported to camp. And Aaron Rodgers, the one thing Aaron Rodgers did, he restructured his contract, Jeff, and people are going to forget about that. He restructured his contract so that he could become a free agent at the end of next season. So at the end of this season, he'll have one year left. So he can tell Green Bay, look, trade me. Here are the list of teams I want to go to or I would like to go to. You trade me there. And if you don't want to trade me, I'll actually retire. I'll file my paperwork. I'll retire. And there's precedence to this. If you remember back in the early 2000s, Carson Palmer, when he was with Cincinnati, similar situation. Didn't want to be with the Bengals. And quite frankly, could you blame him where the Bengals were at that time? Mm -hmm. Retired, forced his way out of Cincinnati. The parallels are very airy with the Palmer situation and what the Rogers situation is going like right now. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a that's a great recollection on your part, and uh, and Palmer went on to to the Raiders, I believe, and uh, uh, he was he, he, you know it, that is an interesting way to kind of go about it, uh, but you know, very few guys ever get to hold that kind of power, right? When you have the and here's the thing with Rogers, he did the whole Jeopardy thing. He has a beautiful fiance, soon to be wife, and he's shown that he can thrive well without football if it came down to that point. But at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers is a football player. He loves being in that spotlight. He loves being that gunslinger, being the head of that franchise. So if Rodgers has to go through the same situation again next year, knowing how well it worked this year, and with the fact that he has a one more year left on his contract, so he can essentially play it out how he sees fit, then why wouldn't you take your chances? Yep, definitely a good point there. And I know you said don't talk about the Cowboys as a contender. I'll tell you, as a, as a fan of the Cowboys, where I'm now highly frustrated, 
for once the defense looks like they're turning the corner and now the offense has gone <laughs> gone down the chute. It's uh, you know, and Dak hasn't been the same since his calf injury. I don't know if the calf injury is playing a part. Part of me, maybe this is a little conspiracy theory. Remember all the talk about his shoulder before the season? Yes. Could, could that be an issue now? You know, there's a, something to think about. Well, the problem is Dak doesn't have a running game to fall back on. Tony Pollard is hurt, may miss the rest of the season, and Zeke isn't the Zeke of two years ago, much less what well, was much less when he first broke into the league. Mm-hmm. The, but my concern is Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, isn't putting the offense in positions to win in spite of Dak's limitations. He's still thinking that Dak is 100% healthy and he has all these weapons in CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, and, and Michael Gallup. But he has to understand that this offense is compromised. They can't, they don't have that home run hitter with the running game. So he has to shrink the offense. But Keller Moore isn't thinking that way. And as a result, the offense has been inconsistent. The, def- the defense for Dallas, given how horrible the Cowboy defense was last year, anything that was average would be, would be marked improvement mm-hmm. for this year. But the fact that Dan Quinn brought in a system to put the players in positions to succeed and the fact that, again, Jerry Jones took ego out of the way, traded back, and got what people universally proclaimed as the best defensive player in the draft of Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons... Should win, Marco Parsons will win Defensive Rookie of the Year. And if that's not unanimous, the people who did not vote for him need to be drug tested. <laughs> he also needs to be Defensive Player of the Year. Because you look at the impact Parsons has had on that Dallas defense. First as a linebacker, then out of necessity, because I believe Randy Gregory got hurt early in the season, yep. they asked him to be a pass rusher. And he had he's he is he has done he has had numbers of sacks that are approached by Javon that Javon Curse and Lawrence Taylor have had in their rookie seasons, mm-hmm. and that's just remarkable to think about somebody who is accustomed to running sideline to sideline as a linebacker. I remember seeing him play uh, at Penn State, but to see how much he has impacted this Dallas defense. The Dow- if the Dallas defense can play the way they've been playing the last few weeks and somehow get Zeke back, because Zeke, Zeke's been hurt as well, mm-hmm. up and on. Dow- Dallas has no ingredients to contend, but my concern is Mike McCarthy. <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs> I, I do not trust Mike McCarthy to make the call, to make the big decision that can give his team the victory. I don't. And he's almost cost his team a couple victories in the season. Yeah. Yeah, I had the over-under at two on games he would cost them. <laughs> well, he almost, well, he almost hit that before the first month of the season was over. So. Yeah, I know. 
Yeah, and and of course, you know what's even sadder is the game he missed uh, against New Orleans. Dan Quinn coached him into the victory, but Mike McCarthy gets that in his ledger. Yeah, that's the part <laughs> that's that's the part that's frustrating. But but the, the New Orleans game, look, a win is a win in the NFL. All oh, that's nice. New Orleans was essentially running on a third string quarterback who, for whatever, I, can someone explain to me? Sean Payton's weird obsession with trying to make Taysom Hill a starting quarterback in the NFL. (laughs) If someone can give me a dissertation on why Sean Payton is going to give Taysom Hill a contract, which could be up to $95 million if he becomes a starting quarterback. He's been on your team for how many years now? You brought in how many different quarterbacks? And he has shown time and time again that he can't be the guy for your organization. Mm-hmm. Look, love Taysom Hill. Love his versatility. He is not a starting quarterback in the NFL. No, I, I, I agree with you on that for, for sure. And the fact that, you know, you know, and they got away from you. He was running through the Cowboys big time, and then they mm-hmm. stopped. They stopped running. <laughs> it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, that is an interesting uh, situation. Yeah, if he was going to be a, a starting quarterback in this league, he'd have been able to do that a long time ago, I would think. So, yes, there you go. I think what's also contributing to the weirdness of the season you were talking about is the fact that we have that 17th game and the extra playoff spot. You know, you know teams now, you know, how many are below 500 still in the playoff hunt? <laughs> It's so interesting. I was reading a, that was a stat I saw um, early in the week where 24, 26 of the 32 NFL teams were within a game of a playoff spot. That's the most that's ever been after 14 weeks of a season in NFL history. And four teams had officially been eliminated from the postseason. Jacksonville, Houston, the Jets, and the Lions. The fact that we've had we're having that and we're only we have a month left to go in the season shows you one that anybody can be beaten at any week. Two, there's not as elite co- there's not as much elite coaching as we've had in the past. And three, and most importantly, the gap in terms of the good, great teams from the good teams, the good teams to the average teams is so small. It's so small. And what I'm going to be so fascinated to look for as we go down the stretch is how many teams actually believe they can make the playoffs and how many teams are actually like, well, okay, we're here. And how many teams saying, look, this is where we need to get our game to the next level. This is where we really need to round it to form. That's why New England is so fascinating to me because not many people thought New England would compete for the division, much less have a shot at the one seed with a rookie quarterback. <laughs> but this has proved that one, Bill Belichick always knows what he's doing. And two, people forget the Patriots had seven defensive starters opt out last season because of COVID. They had Cam Newton, who had COVID himself. And the Patriots were two plays away from being nine and seven. People forget that, but yeah. they're so worried about being a week-to-week league and all, all the shiny toys and Buffalo and Baltimore and all that stuff. And here comes New England plowing along. Now they got a chance to get the one seed. 
And we all know what happened. We all know this. If the Monday night game in Buffalo is any indication, you do not want to go up against a team coached by Bill Belichick who will formulate a game plan specifically for that game to beat you. Yep. <laughs> that is exactly right. And of course, you mentioned, you know, only four teams not in the playoff hunt. And that's why the NFL feeds the masses. I mean, you can literally say every going into every season, there's just a small number of teams that really have no shot. And the rest of them have some sort of shot, you know, so that's a that's a that, that's why that's why they're the, the king of the hill where that goes. And of course, one of the teams out of the race, the Jacksonville Jaguars and uh Good old Urban Meyer. So you think it's a foregone conclusion that he is adios at the end of the year? The question I have is, does Urban Meyer quit? Does he resign? Or does the owner Shaq Khan fire Urban Meyer? Because from the moment he got hired, the decisions that he made, bringing in that strength and conditioning coach who's had, who's been accused of uh, discrimination or racism, Bringing in Tim Tebow to play tight end, even though he has never played a snap at tight end in his football life. It, it, it tells you that Urban Meyer thinks that the success is about him and his genius. And when he loses, everyone else is at fault. I mean, look at the, the reports last week from Tom Pelissero were, I, I mean, just wow saying, questioning people's credentials, saying that he's a winner. And now there was some report a few days ago about Josh Lambeau, for the Jaguar kicker, accusing Urban Meyer of actually kicking him. It, at what point, and I said this on Captain and Company earlier, talking with Captain about this, it's a business. Businessmen don't always get big profits on their investments. They don't get that ROI. But what businessmen realize is that they cut their losses as quickly as possible. At what point does Shaq Khan look at this from a business perspective and saying, I'm not getting the return on the investment that I thought I was getting. As a matter of fact, I'm losing on my investment. At what point do I cut this off? And for Sha- and if Shaq Khan does this, there will be his fifth head coach since he took over as owner of the Jaguars. It will be an admission that Urban Meyer is not cut out for the NFL. And it'll be the long, the next uh, long list of college coaches who tried to make the jump to the NFL did not work. And it all going. It will all be based on what Trevor Lawrence does, what he says, because he is the friend. He is the most. He is outside of Shaq Khan. Trevor Lawrence has the most powerful voice in the Jaguar organization, and if he does not endorse Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer is out on the streets an hour after Trevor Lawrence says that, mm. because Shaq Khan is going to listen to his franchise quarterback over his head coach. And if his franchise quarterback isn't happy, Shaq Khan is going to do everything within his reason and power to make sure he is happy. Yeah, and I was also thinking too, you know, Urban has, you know, stepped away 
uh, because of health issues. He quote, stepped away quote. to spend spend more time with his family, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. What's what's the next one he comes up with? <laughs> more time to go to his nightclub. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so that is a dire situation. Of course, uh, you know, what do you think will happen? Do you think there will be something in relation to the COVID protocols, given the huge outbreaks that are going on right now? You know, Cleveland's out a number of players, including Baker Mayfield. The Washington football team's got a situation going on there. You know, the NFL doesn't want to cancel games, but then you're probably going to be bordering on players' safety if you have so few guys that can play. Well, first of all, the NFL, if the NFL really cared about players' safety, they would have agreed to a 17th game going started this season. <laughs> Very true. So let's get the players' safety narrative, throw it out, out the window, because the NFL never really cared about players' safety. They just use it as a crutch, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the COVID situation, the NFL and the NFLPA need to get together and figure out what they need to do for because they're because a lot of the players who tested positive one or for one of them one most of them are fully vaccinated and secondly were asymptomatic so you have to kind of have a tier where if you're if you test positive and you have symptoms then you're out x number of games if you're positive but are not symptomatic then you can still play they, they have to have a structure in place. It, and not just in the NFL, Jeff. We're seeing it in the NBA. The Chicago Bulls had to have games postponed because they had almost up to a dozen players in health and safety protocols. The NHL's going through an issue right now. Calgary, I believe, had 19 different members of their organization, players and coaches, out for COVID. And they had to be put on pause. At what point do the leagues... Look at this situation, more NBA and NHL, because they're still in the early, at the quarter pole of the season, do they say, let's take a break here. Let's push everything back. Let's make every make sure everybody is properly set and ready to go. And then we can resume the season. But the problem is, it's all about money. If there are no games on TV, there's no television money. And there's no television money, you can't pay the players. You can't pay the coaches. So what what is more important to you? Is it the players or is it the profit? <laughs> I think we know the answer. <laughs> uh, exactly. It ain't the players. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, speaking of the NBA now, I tip, will freely admit I t- generally do not pay much attention to the NBA until after Christmas. But uh Big thing happening this week with uh, Steph Curry, now the all-time three-point leader, 2,974 career threes, uh, breaking the mark that Ray Allen held, did it in 511 fewer games. That is a remarkable number and a remarkable feat. And let's put perspective in that, Jeff. Steph missed bits and parts of some of his early seasons due to injury. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he would have hit that mark a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Steph Curry is revolutionizing the sport for an entire generation. Like Michael Jordan revolutionized the game for a certain generation. Like Kobe Bryant revolutionized the game for the current generation of players that we're seeing right now. Steph Curry is sending the tenor for the current and next generation of players that we're seeing in the NBA. 
shooting the long distance, shooting the three-pointers from 30 feet, 35 feet, 40 feet, and being confident with that shot. And Steph Curry, he's not like a powerhouse like a Giannis or a LeBron or a Kawhi Leonard. He, 6'2", 6'3", buck 70, buck 80, but is probably the greatest shooter ever. And if I, you remember, back in 2013, then Warriors head coach Mark Jackson said at a press conference that Klay Thompson and Steph Curry were the greatest shooting backcourt of all time. And everyone looked at Mark Jackson and said, brother, are you, are you all right or something? Do you have <laughs> any idea what you're talking about? <laughs> Mark, ja- Mark Jackson knew back then what we are all confirming right now is that Clay and Steph are the greatest shooting backcourt in NBA history. Yeah, and uh, and you look at what Steph does, you know, offensively, you know, he's more than just a three-point gun. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's great at driving the ball, terrific ball handler, and I can see, you know, you know, him putting this record way out of reach, you know, cuz I can see him, you know, in his late 30s basically becoming his dad, Del Curry as a spot-up three-point shooter all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the scary thing about Steph is that he a lot of his threes come when he's moving without the ball. Mm-hmm. We, we all marvel about how he dribbles and takes those, takes those, st- those stutter steps and then pulls back and launches them. But when you watch the game, watch Steph Curry when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, the cuts, the movement, the ability to get those angles. And then once he gets off that screen, he gets that little bit of space and just puts that shot up and just puts it through. So it, it's remarkable to see him do that. And you're starting to see Golden State as a team become a more well-rounded team, kind of like those early Golden State teams when they won those back-to-back championships and went to the finals that third time before losing to LeBron and the Cavaliers. And the scary thing about all of this, Jeff, they're going to get Clay Thompson back eventually. They're going to get James Wiseman back eventually. So you add those two into the mix, particularly a motivated Clay who hasn't been on the court since he had that horrific injury in the NBA Finals versus Toronto. He's going to want to prove that he is at least the equal of his teammate, Seth. So... If you thought the NBA had it tough now with Steph doing his thing and the Warriors having one of the best records in the league, wait until you add those two into the equation, especially a hungry and motivated Clay Thompson. Yeah, nice to have more ingredients coming in there, that's for sure. So yes. give me some give me some thoughts, you know, on on the Lakers. I you know I, I now, you know, King James, I now call, I now call him drama King James because he, he <laughs> just he, he he just flat out exhausts me. Um you know the the fight that he had, or you know, a couple of weeks ago, and and whatnot, and ESPN goes crazy or that. And of course, if you watched ESPN, you'd think the Lakers were the only team that played in the league <laughs> on some nights. Um, so I don't blame all this on LeBron, although he feeds into it with the drama. But you know, the but you know, the four letter network has certainly made that situation where the you know the Lakers, you know, either either you are. Ardently for them, or you can't stand them. <laughs> well, the 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 Lakers situation is is 
fluid as someone else in the four letter network likes to say because one day you get LeBron, the, the AD is out, and the other day you get AD playing, LeBron is out, you got Russell Westbrook, people wanted wanted Buddy Heal, now Russ. It, it, let, the Lakers are the oldest team in the league, so they're not gonna let me put it to you, let me rephrase it this way. They're not going to put as much emphasis on a loss in December as opposed to a loss in late March and early April. Because late March and early April, that's where they're trying to get themselves ready for a playoff push. My concern is Anthony Davis. Because when LeBron went to Los Angeles, he knew knew AD was going to be coming there with him. And eventually it was going to be the passing of the torch from LeBron to AD. We haven't seen that yet, Jeff. Mm-hmm. And I'm concerned that, look, LeBron is a physical freak like Tom Brady is in terms of how well they're playing, the level that they're playing at their advanced age. But at some point, Father Time is going to catch up to all of us. Yeah. <laughs> the question the Lakers have to ask themselves is that, when LeBron's performance, quote-unquote, drops off, is AD going to be ready to pick up that, take the ball, and run with it and lead the Lakers to more championships? Because the Lakers deal, they don't want one championship. They want multiples. Going back to the days of Magic, Magic and Kareem, Shaq and Kobe, Kobe, Pau Gasol, the Lakers want to win multiple championships. And with LeBron and AD, you figure they'll be together for another three or four years. They want at least two championships within that time frame. Right now, they only got, they got one title and one early round exit in the playoffs. And the way things are looking right now, the Lakers are clearly looking at the playing game, although it is still early. Russell Westbrook has started to find his little piece within that, within that puzzle. He's finding where he can be assertive or where to defer, which a lot of people were concerned about when they acquired him from Washington. So Russ is going to look, Russ is going to have his moments when LeBron is out and 80 is out. He just needs to do a better job of protecting the basketball in those situations. But if, Anthony Davis can't be that top five, top 10 player that a lot of people thought he was going to be when they got him in New Orleans and gave up Brandon Ingham, Lonzo Ball, and all those other assets. Then the Lakers, in spite of LeBron, are going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. All right. And one last topic we'll cover. Uh, give me your thoughts on the Gas Gasparilla Bowl, UCF and the Florida Gators, uh, that'll be taking place in Tampa on the 23rd. Um, you know, there's a uh, good chance there's going to be a, at least a 50-50 split in uh, in the crowd between those two schools, if not more, possibly for UCF. I know they've been very public about the, uh, the, the ticket sales and whatnot. I don't think I've seen much from the University of Florida on that. Uh, and the Gators come in as a, as a prohibitive favorite, even though they're six and six, and the Knights are eight and four, uh, what's your what's your take on on that bowl game? Well, I'm glad that we don't have to wait for another four years until we see these two programs play. Yes, um, have so credit and hats off to the uh, P- 
people at the Gasparilla Bowl for making that happen. Here's the thing, Jeff. The SEC fans and fan bases have this built-in excuse for bowl season. When their teams are not in the, in the uh, college football playoff, or not playing in a New Year's Six Bowl game, and they lose, they say, well, they weren't motivated. They were disappointed. They, they kind of melted in. But if they win, they're like, oh, SEC, SEC. <laughs> so Bob Bob was like, well, well, what is it? What is it? For Florida, Florida is not going to take this game as seriously as I think they should. And for those players who are going to be returning, you're auditioning for the new head coach, Billy Napier, because mm. he will be, he will be in attendance. So likely be on the sideline, kind of just observing the situation. So coach Napier is going to be dissecting that game film, looking at the practices leading up to the game, really determining who wants to be a Gator or who just wants to wear the jersey to uh, pick up all the girls down on University Boulevard. <laughs> For UCF, a win against Florida could do more for this football program and this university than the win versus Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl, than the win versus Auburn New Year's Day in the Sugar Bowl a few years ago. That could be... Yes, even though it will be against a 6-6 six six Florida team who's had their troubles, this could do more for the UCF brand than anything because it helps recruiting. It will be in front of a national audience. It's a game in the state of Florida, essentially two, essentially two hours up I-4, playing, playing in the home of the rainy defending Super Bowl champions against a powerhouse program like Florida, who you've been dying to get on your schedule for nearly a decade and a half, if not longer. So UCF is going to take this game with the seriousness that it deserves. Florida players need to take this game seriously because if those players don't, they may be, they be finding themselves in the transfer portal because Coach Dave Pierre may look at them and saying. I don't want you for my vision of this program. And what's your, and what's your assessment of Gus Malzahn for season? Let's, 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 I feel Gus Malzahn has done a much better job than what we're giving him credit for. Let, let, let's remember UCF lost a wacky Friday night game in Louisville where there were three touchdowns scored in the last minute and a half. The game winning touchdown was on a, Great on a bad throw, which ended up being the last throw of Dylan Gabriel's career at UCF. Actually, next to last throw before he got the broken collarbone. The, the loss to Navy was a bad loss. Granted, given that Navy had only won four games this past year. He got blown out of Cincinnati. Look, that, but you beat, but you had the big win against Boise State earlier in the season. You beat your rival USF. You were depleted with injuries. You have a chance for a nine-win season with a first-year coach, and you and you arguably have your best recruiting class ever at the National Signing Day. So things are only going up for Gus Malzahn in his time with UCF. Obviously, it depends on what UCF gets in the transfer portal. There were reports floating around about Bo Nix maybe transferring into UCF. We'll see what happens as th- with that situation. But if you can finish with nine wins 
given that you played 80% of your season without your Heisman caliber quarterback who left or ended up leaving the program, that's a victory for Gus Malzahn, and it's only going to go up from here. Yeah, that's a. I know the injuries were 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 really tough on them this year. You know, Isaiah Bowser was such a difference maker when he's when he's healthy and in the lineup. And, you know, totally changes the dynamic of that offense. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. With you know, the Florida the Florida game is 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 such a great opportunity for them uh, to to really put a stamp on things and uh, and and continue that forward momentum that they've been that they've been building over the last uh, last few years. Well. Victor, let's uh, close out uh, with your uh, shameless plugs for the many endeavors that you take part in. I know you're recording a podcast uh, tomorrow night as well. Yes, yes. You can cast a recording in the circle. will be available Mondays and Thursdays on your favorite podcasting platform. We also have a YouTube channel as well. You can catch some of our various video interviews there. Uh, rate, as we like to say, like, rate, review, download, subscribe, all the good things. And as Jeff mentioned earlier, I'm on Captain and Company in the morning on Old School as SKOLL101.com, uh, 9 a.m. to noon, giving the entertainment and the sports and uh, getting on uh, my soapbox or milk crate, depending on what the situation is. <laughs> uh, let, let's just say me and Captain had a, let's just say I gave Captain an interesting theory about the, the whole Molly Carum, Jalen Rose divorce situation. You need to listen to that because. Uh, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get to that. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I give an interesting theory about the uh, whole situation that you may want to listen to. And of course, you mentioned a7bnsports.com, and uh, I'll be doing some broadcasting this weekend as well. Uh, go, I'll be doing Stetson women's basketball on coming up for a few of the games. So go to uh, go go to uh, gohatters.com. Uh, for all the latest there, I'll be doing a couple women's games, a couple men's games uh, to round up the Christmas and the end round of 2021. So lots of work for yours truly heading into the uh, new year. All right. Well, I wish you happy holidays, happy new year and all that good stuff. Continued success. And uh, as always, great to have you on the show. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it, sir. And we'll be right back to close out with a TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon. Weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus. Throwing a curveball at you this time on the TV theme. That is the closing theme from WKRP in Cincinnati. That's right. They had a different theme at the end. You're very familiar with the uh, Steve Carlisle version, which was actually a, a, a top 40 hit uh, back in the day. But this theme was done by an Atlanta musician named Jim Ellis. He did some other 
uh, musical things for the show. And basically, the lyrics are gibberish. If you can make them out, go back, you know, you can hit the hit the back button and listen to it. Good luck making out the words to it, because they are all gibberish. He didn't have lyrics for this song, but he went ahead and just, you know, they wanted to see what it would sound like as far as the, the musical score goes, and he just mouthed a bunch of words. Red Tooth Bartender is what some people think it starts off with, and... Uh, it's a, it's a, it's crazy. Uh, look that up on uh, on on your Google machine, and see how <laughs> how many different things people think it says. Uh, and WKRP is kind of an outlier there because there's only one other show I can think of that had a different theme for the close, and that would be All in the Family, as they had Those Were the Days sung by Carol Connor and Gene Stapleton, Archie and Edith. But the closing of All in the Family was a piano instrumental of a song called Remembering You. So those two shows are the only ones that I am aware of that have a different theme to open and a different theme to close. But uh, good stuff there from WKRP in Cincinnati in our closing theme for today. Hey, I didn't mean to have that pun come out the way it did, but it did. And with that... We are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Self is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.